we get Title III funding, which is the funding from the federal government that is, you know, it's appropriated for HBCUs because we're underfunded on, in comparison to the rest of the universities that we have in the U.S. 400,000 people later, here's where we are. Greatest country in the world, the most deaths out of anybody, the greatest uh, medical center in the world, the greatest science in the world, the greatest everything in the world, and yet this is where we are. How did we get here? And I hope that people on both sides of the aisle see that, that we never needed to be here. List of distinguished graduates, Barbara Jordan, Mickey Leland, Craig Washington, Sempronia Thompson, the list goes on and on and on. We're really fortunate that this school was created originally in 1947 as Texas State University for Negroes has blossomed into what is now the second largest historically black university in the country and it's been a godsend for us and we're just so grateful that we have it and we need to do everything we can to protect it and support it. Excited to join the broadcast here today. I'm Michael Adams. I'm the director of the Executive Masters of Public Administration program at Texas Southern University. And I think this is a momentous opportunity to launch this program where we try to place our students within management positions or they are already in service in, in these positions. Uh, they're at the federal, state, and local level. I have had my students in, who are currently working and those students who have been through the program They've worked on Capitol Hill. They've worked on uh, congressional staffs. They've also served in positions in the White House. We also have them in Austin, Texas. That's what we are about. We are policy focused. And today I'm hoping that the panelists will talk about some of the issues as they see them with the understanding that it's a teachable moment. And there's a lot to talk about because I think uh, we're in the middle of uh, one of the worst crises that I know I've experienced in my lifetime in terms of the pandemic, and also that has had a tremendous impact on the economy. And within higher education, we've seen that everything has gone virtual, and that is impacting people, and also in terms of public education. If you have uh, school-aged children, you know that it's been a challenge. And so these are some of the things that we want to address in terms of how we, we make things better. And this is the commencement of something good in terms of this discussion. Thank you. This is uh, Carol G. Robinson. I'm an associate professor at the Barbara Jordan Mickey Leland School of Public Affairs. That's at Texas Southern University in Houston, Texas. And Barbara Jordan and Mickey Leland are two historic figures in Texas and the United States. They're both former members of Congress from the city of Houston in the state of Texas. I'm here today on campus socially distanced from two outstanding individuals. One is State Representative Jarvis Johnson. And um, because I'm a member of the faculty, uh, the more important uh, member of the panel today is my student regent who is a undergraduate member of the university community a political science major with a minor in public administration. Yes, um, I'm Joseph Johnson. I currently sit as a student regent here at Texas Southern University. I was appointed by Governor Abbott in June of last year. So I'll be sitting on the board until my term expires May 31st. But it has been a phenomenal journey to be here at Texas Southern University. I actually didn't start off here. I started off across on, on Scott Street at University of Houston, believe it or not, as in 
uh, freshman in 2016, 2017. But after a year there, I just didn't know if it was the right place for me. And I knew the former student regent. His name is Carnard Jones. And I met with him and him and another friend I met at U of H were actually sweet mates. So I met him. He said, well, why don't you come over to TSU? And I was like, well, I've never been to TSU. You know, I'm Cougar. I don't really venture across the street. We, I don't have any business doing over well, any business over there. But he convinced me to come. And Mr. Armstrong, Brian Armstrong, he filled out my application with me there that same day. And just that welcoming with open arms at Texas Southern University and to have somebody who didn't even know me was the first time I ever met him and to be willing to fill out my application for me. And, you know, the rest is history. I spent, this is my third year here. I'll be graduating with my degree in political science at the end of the semester. And who knows what's next? You know, my story is kind of, you know, it isn't the most orthodox story about how I ended up at TSU. But as they say, all roads do lead to TSU. So I'm happy to be here, happy to be here with my fellow JJ and yourself, Mr. Robinson, and I'm looking forward to this discussion that we're about to have. Hail, 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 Texas Southern. Uh, fascinating. And also with us uh, is the other JJ, the other Johnson, uh, um, state representative uh, Johnson. So Representative Johnson, will you talk to us a little bit? Absolutely. Great to, to be here and certainly want to... Uh, uh, thank uh, you for allowing me to have this moment, and it's good to be with my uh, fellow JJ and 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 fellow uh, TSU uh, student. And as I am an alum of Texas Southern University, um, one of the greatest universities in the in the nation, in the land. And so I certainly appreciate the time that I spent here. Probably a little bit longer than I expected, because as they say, when I was coming in, when I was coming in, it was like the easiest place to get in, just the hardest to get out. So. You know, and, and I appreciate that now. I can appreciate that now because while we didn't have admission standards back then, but the fact is, is that but they held you to a higher standard. And so I, I thank all of my professors and certainly um, got to pay homage to, to the late Dr. Freeman uh, for all the work that he's done to put Texas Southern on the map. And then certainly now as I look at the, 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 the legacy that has been left and certainly appreciate Dr. Adams and the work that he's done. And, and so we certainly appreciate the work that's going on here. And so uh, I, I, I'm at the State House being a proud alumni working on behalf of Texas Southern and the rest of, of all of the Texans and certainly District 139. So thank you for having me and, and, and being here. Representative Johnson, thank you. Um, it's hard to explain to people how powerful a path through TSU is. We have so many members of the legislature, elected judges. We have outstanding students like our regents. Uh, so as you said, TSU is a place of opportunity, but a place that also grooms into you the kind of standards that generates the success we see from our alumni. Um, and I wanted to make the observation because you mentioned Dr. Freeman, who's no longer with us. Um, but a lot of people see the movie, The Great Debaters, and, you know, TV is like the fictionalized story. It tells the story, but it doesn't tell the real story that those debaters were TSU students. One of them was Barbara Jordan, who ended up in Congress doing the Nixon impeachment. And the other was Otis King, who ended up being a faculty member at the law school. Uh, let me go back to the region, because today was... Um, a historic day. Uh, and not only did we get a new president of the United States, but we also got for the first time in the history of America, uh, a woman of color, black woman, Caribbean heritage, Asian heritage, and a HBCU graduate um, from Howard University. So Regent Johnson, could you just tell us a little bit how it felt to see this kind of transformation today? 
Well, for one, it it reminded me or brought me back to fifth grade because that was when Obama was elected. So I was sitting and I was sitting in my geometry wow. class. Yeah. How does that make you know, sense? you know. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. I, you know, I never knew it. it was like when your parent, when you get to that age, it's like now you feel old. That's one of them that made me feel old. And I'm like, I, I've never felt that way. This young man just made me feel old. <laughs> wow. I'm 22 years old, 22 years young. Wow. But okay. yeah, when I was in fifth grade, believe it or not, sitting in my math class, Miss Gilbert's class, and we were watching, and those were before they had the projectors, the fancy projectors that they have now, you know, in, in K through 12 schools and then university. So we had the VHS, it still had the, you know, but we were watching live on, I believe, NBC, it comes on, and we were watching the inauguration. So whenever I watched, you know, um, today and yesterday night, and before we even talk about the inauguration, special shout out to our TSU debate team and their performance. So four of our students, Maya Williams, Naha Fembule, Trevor Mouton, and then Gloria Ekezi, and Nahab and Gloria actually belong to the school, the School of Public Affairs. They're in, I'm also the president of our political science club, so those are two members of the debate team, but also have to hone in on the fact that they're in the political science club as well. So everything that you see around us right here currently in this room, but as well as some of the professors and some of the historic figures that come from TSU, the rich history is, is being continued, you know, and it's, it's the, the legacy is being carried out by not only students like our people on the debate team, but also students like myself who didn't necessarily start at the university, but still, you know, I felt like TSU is what's made me. You know, I, I f f like when I saw the, you know, the inauguration, shout out to the HBCUs out there, you know, um, Vice President Kamala Harris, he's, she's an HBCU product. And to know that my sister, who's currently, I'm gonna make y'all feel old again, but my sister's 13 years old, you know, and she's in, in middle school. And to know that she saw that and to have someone who actually looks like you because we live in an era now where politics aren't really more party, but people are capitalizing off of how you look. You know, identity politics is everything. People are honing in on the fact that I'm different and it's our differences that also make us a great country and, and, and a diverse country. But to know that we have someone in the White House to make it to the highest executive authority, you know, in America, essentially, it was second highest. You have the president and, and vice president. But to know that we have that is just something it, it's unprecedented and it, it brings gravity to everything that happened in this past year. It's grounding now and I feel a lot more comfortable moving forward, not only as a university because we're a public institution, we get our money from the Department of Education, then goes down to the state, then goes down, you know, Title III funds that come federal funds. So to, to think that we could get even more funding and even more support in, in the federal capacity is something that I'm very excited for. I'm, I graduate this semester, but looking forward and as we get our new president at our university, I know that we'll be good. Thank you. Representative Johnson, I want to frame it this way. I know you have been a big proponent of trying to deal with bringing change to Texas. And you have been engaged in um, a legislative effort to eliminate the Confederate holiday celebration in this state. And I'd like you to talk to us about that juxtaposition of celebrating that what happens on January 6th when those folks storm the Capitol in an insurrection and the day where we see an African-American woman sworn in as vice president in the knowledge that we've also, um, I don't think any of us until we saw it happen believe we would see a black president 
anytime soon. And in, in such short uh, period of time, we've had a black president, black man, and now we have a black woman as vice president. But we in Texas are still dealing with Confederate holidays and the like. And let me let me say this. I, I let me. That's a great question and a great way of putting it. And and I'm gonna take it backwards because you talked about a black man, and then you know now this we have this wonderful black woman as as vice president, um, and and what that means and and what it has meant to uh, young impressionable people like you know young brother uh, Johnson over here, in fifth grade, watching President Obama become um, the president, which you and I, when we grew up, that, that was unfathomable. I mean, it was like, what? No, no, we never even thought that would ever happen. We got excited when we saw Jesse, but, but really at the end of the day, that was just kind of a ceremonial kind of gesture to say, you, you, got, into, you got into the field, but yeah, yeah, you're not gonna cross that line ever. Um, but to, to be able to now see that we, we had a, 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 a black man like President Obama, as intelligent and brilliant and a, a wonderful speaker and a great husband and a great father spoke volumes, not only to us, but to those that never wanted to see that. And so now we have to understand that you now have this wonderful black woman, intelligent, beautiful, is a mother, is a, a wife, they don't want to see that. They want to see that fail. That's why Confederate Heroes Day is so important to them. That's why we have an imagery problem in America. An imagery problem that says from the movies to the television to the books to the whatever happens, we're gonna make sure that you may have a president, you may have a vice president, you may have a whole bunch of Congress people, state representatives, but rest assured, we're gonna make sure that the image of you stays as negative as it possibly can. And I think we gotta fight harder because I think we rested on the fact that President Ob Obama was there. Now we're resting on the fact that we, we broke that glass ceiling with, 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 with Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris. We, we've broken that, that glass ceiling. But what does that mean? That means that the opposition is gonna fight harder against us to make sure that, yeah, you may have won, but that ain't gonna change who you are. And that's why we saw more times and not black men and women being gunned down in the streets because they did their very best to make sure that the images changed of who we are. And so Confederate Heroes Day in the state of Texas, which most people don't even know what it is. Did you know there was a holiday, Young Brother Johnson, called Confederate Heroes Day? And it's, it's, a, it's a very little, well, you know, little known fact that it is called Confederate Heroes Day. In itself, Confederate Heroes is oxymoronic. The Confederacy fought against the United States of America to secede themselves from the United States to then say we want to be apart from you. So they were treasonous in, the, in itself. And then on top of that, they lost the war. They lost the war that they fought to keep the institution of slavery alive. But now today you will find that they will, those people out there are gonna scream, oh, nobility in, the, in those soldiers that fought for the Confederacy. There was no nobility and nobody fighting for the Confederacy. They fought to preserve Slavery and those that I didn't own, my family didn't own slaves. You fought to keep black people enslaved so that they will, you will always be above them because you feared that black people were going to be equal to you, so therefore you fought to keep us enslaved. You didn't fight for patriotism, you didn't fight for honor, you fought to keep people enslaved because you knew what that war was all about. 
And people who will say it was about states' rights. It was about states' rights to, to have slavery. <laughs> Let's not forget that part. So I introduced a bill in, in 2019 to discuss how do we abolish Confederate Heroes Day. It got a hearing, but it never got a vote. I believe that this time in the right place in the right, uh, at the right time, we will get that bill passed. Yes, we're going to have to go up against uh, a lieutenant governor that we know how he is. Yes, we're going to have to go up against a Senate that uh, is still the majority Republican, and we know how they think. Uh, but I think I I've, I've garnered a lot of support from Republicans in the House. There are a few senators, but I must encourage them as their own colleagues must encourage them to be bold enough, courageous enough to stand up and say, it's time. It's time. Because this type of rhetoric has emboldened a silent minority of people that then stormed the United States Capitol with ignorance and with boldness to say that something was stolen from them, which we all know was a fair election. But to see an individual walk into the United States Capitol with a Confederate flag, that in itself ought to be insulting to every American. Because again, the Union beat the Confederacy. Can you believe this? In entire Civil War, the Confederate battle flag never made it into the capital of the United States. It, it made it into the capital of the United States. Regent Johnson, let me let me ask this, because this is one of the um, questions that political scientists grapple with. And you're a political science major and will soon be in the fraternity sorority of folks with that education. How do we get um, more younger Americans to be actively involved in participating in not just going to vote, but paying attention and making sure their elected officials know what their interests and concerns are? Well, we do live in an interesting age where social media is the place where a lot of people get their news from. So we are far removed from news stations, local news stations, being where people get their, their ideologies from. Because I'd say that there's two ways that you can go about this. You have those who simply don't care, you know, people who believe, who have low political efficacy, they don't believe that their vote matters, they don't believe that what they say to their politicians is actually something that can be tangible and that they can see to fruition. But then you have the other half, which are the young folks who, who have found grace in the new political era of, you know, you have people who are getting sworn in with the Quran. Okay, the senators like AOC who are out there fighting for the younger folks and to see something like that as a younger person is very inspiring. And to know that her political career isn't something that's orthodox, as orthodox she was working in the bar, you know, where she was raising money for her campaign. So that's something that's very germane to today's demographic. You know, today's, uh, today's I guess you could say, person who doesn't necessarily come from the ivory tower, you know, because we have a lot of families, political families that happen well, that exist in America. We have the Kennedys, we have the Clintons, we have the Bushes, and then you just have that umbrella of Ivy League and elitist type ideology, and to see someone break those barriers is something that's very inspiring. So I think that when we host more, more events, like, unfortunately we can't in COVID, but 
last year we were. We were hosting a lot more events where we had younger politicians. I believe uh, Representative Johnson, he came before as well as Representative uh, Reynolds, he came before. And I know personally sitting in these rooms where you hear these, you know, somewhat younger politicians speak before you, it is very inspiring and in how we transition into something that is more tangible and that has praxis is we do the same thing that the opposite end is doing. You know, the opposite how they were able to storm the Capitol. You know, they were able to rally together around ideas. So when, when I think that we have to get away from this materialistic, it's very hard to because the social media, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It can be something that unites people and gets people out there with, idea, uh, with ideas because unfortunately I wasn't here in Houston when the Black Lives Matter protests were going on. My uncle passed, I was out in Louisiana, but to know that on my birthday, it was June 2nd, you know, nine, uh, June 2nd, 2020, that 40,000 people, young folks, a majority of them, were storming downtown Houston and, and to simply disrupt you know, the way of life of other folks because this is how we feel every single day. This is how we feel and we live in fear. And to know that there are things that to rally around and that young folks are speaking about it at least, give it a couple, uh, three or four more years for them to actually learn that what you say can be backed up by your actions as well. It's not simply a tweet. You can go out there in the streets, you can go, you can write to your politicians. You could be the one to fundraise. I believe that our, um, our Harris County attorney right now, he's the youngest that we've ever had, correct? Yeah, Christian Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, Christian, yeah. I, yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's coming, it really is, but it takes, it starts from the top to know you have a vice president of a young, you know, a young woman like my sister, my younger sister, or the younger woman that we have around here on campus and at Howard, you know, her, her uh, alumni, but to know that we have someone out there and up there, it's just a matter of time before it does pick up more weight. It does, the wave does start to change, you know, the tide will change. And some of this, some of this, I call it the faction because that's what it was. Whenever you storm the Capitol, you do a treasonous act, it's a faction. So whenever the faction dies down and their, and their hearts, you know, finally resonate back to wherever they, they were in those dark places that they were before, then that's, that's gonna be the time where more people like, you know, like AOC and more people, young politicians like Mr. McCaffrey here in Houston, they do come up and they do rise up, so. Hey, uh, uh, Representative Johnson, I love I love this because this is so easy. I don't have to remember a lot of names because I got both of you <laughs> in the same ballpark. Um, do, do this for me. Talk to us a little bit because um, we have the region. Talk to us a little bit about what you think is going to happen this session because it's so unusual with the budget and education issues. Craziness. Craziness. Craziness and craziness, uh, unfortunately. And I'm going to be brutally honest. I mean, but it, it's, it's going to be incumbent upon people like Regent Johnson, but, but more importantly, people like those, um, those individuals from East Texas, those sympathizers, those people who understand the, 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 the work that needs to be done here in this state. We understand that we're, uh, as a member of, of appropriations, um, uh, I'm on appropriations. I was on appropriations last year. I'm, I'm looking forward to being on appropriations again this year. We have to get very creative, number one, with how we are going to be able to, to juggle this budget. Uh, it's thin. Um, we're going to have to get really creative. We're going to have to find different revenue streams. Uh, we're going to have to do a better job of, of, of providing um, insurance for, for the non-insured. As Texans, we rank last. We're the greatest state in the greatest country in the world, and yet we rank last in terms of uninsured people. And for those people who want to continue to say, well, in insurance needs to be, you know, you, you, you need to, you know, work hard to get it. So let me give you a, a, an alarming statistic. We rank 41st in the nation for high earning people in the nation with insurance. We rank 41st. 
That means people who are high earners don't even have access to adequate insurance. It ain't got nothing to do with the Affordable Care Act because when you start talking about the Affordable Care Act, a lot of people like the Affordable Care Act. Most people hate Obamacare. <laughs> Say it again. A lot of, if you get to talking about the Affordable Care Act and people say, look, do you want the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, you will find most Texans are going to say, we want the Affordable Care Act. Okay, that's what we're going to give you. So let's start talking in those, in those terms. So we need to make sure that uh, we come up with a different, we have to expand our revenue streams. We have to do a much better job uh, of making sure that we ensure the, the, the uninsured. Um, and, and I think that will help. But at the end of the day, there's going to be, this state is, 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 is open to, to make some, 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 some very dramatic changes, but I think it's going to have to come from some very open-minded and willing people because, unfortunately, we got to stop drawing these political lines in the sand just to simply say, oh, I'm not going to do this because the Democrats introduced it, or I'm not going to do that, or I'm, come on, this is about us all living together, you know, in this, in, in what we call the greatest land uh, in, in, you know, in the United States. So we have to do a much better job. So I, I, I'm going to work diligently, and, and as all the other members of the TLBC, as we've put together a platform, as we put together um, what, we, what we believe to be a formula to make sure that we can put members in, in strategic places, to be on these committees, to be able to have voices for our people and our communities. And, and, that, and that's what we're gonna work towards. Mr. Regent, let me, let me ask um, uh, one question with a little two kind of pieces. Um, you got the state rep here, and uh, what does the board need to help the university? And you have the microphone what would you like to see the alumni do more to help the university? I'm going to tap this to make sure that this is on <laughs> if I say that. So everyone can hear me, but money, 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 money. So, and it's, and it's actually serendipitous because I just had a meeting with our provost. I believe that was this past Friday, where for an hour and a half was our meeting, but for a good 35, 40 minutes was about the budget and how could we reallocate funds? And I'm like, well, why are we reallocating? Why aren't we just appropriating? Well, there aren't any funds to appropriate. So it's like, we get Title IX funding, which is, you know, the, the well, I mean, not Title IX, I'm sorry, Title III funding, which is the funding from the federal government that is, you know, it's appropriated for HBCUs because we're underfunded on, in comparison to the rest of the universities that we have in the US. And all of those funds have already been exhausted. And when you see every day on the news where you have philanthropist efforts, you know, coming from, um, excuse, I forget her name, and I'm, excuse me, um, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, I hate to relay that as her, she's much more than his ex-wife, but when she gave $50 million to Prayer View, and when, um, um, what is it, you know, Travis Scott, he gave $150,000 to us, but he also started a foundation. But just to see all these celebrities and you know, the Bill Gates Foundation giving away a lot of money, but it was upsetting to know that not a lot of that was coming to TSU. And it was just, it was so surreal as well because a couple months prior in October, we had the TSU votes. 
You know, we had the TSU Votes campaign where Mayor Sylvester Turner was here as well as Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and George Floyd's brother. I was literally coming from getting the haircut and they're like, hey, come to campus today. We have the TSU Votes. So I walk, I get pulled on stage and I'm standing next to, you know, George Floyd's brother as well as Paul Wall. And we have this entire campaign for us to go out and vote. And it's like, well, we need that same support. In, in, in the House and the Senate to get money coming to not only at the state level, but at the federal level for, to get HBCUs funded more because for our funds from Title III to already be exhausted, well, that tells you that that's not enough money. And that money not only goes to the salaries, it's more you know personnel and, and, and the counseling and, and um, facilities and things as such. So when I have um, individuals who work at the university who are saying that it's, it's, it's hard to do their job because of a lack of resources or a lack of staffing or a lack of just anything. It's like, well, there shouldn't be any lack at a university. We're a public institution in the state of Texas. It's like Representative Jarvis Johnson said, we're the greatest state. And I believe, like, I'm, a, I'm a proud Texan. I'm born and raised in Houston, Texas, so I'm ride or die all day. But we live in the greatest state. We could probably be a country on our own if we wanted to. We got the Gulf right there. Don't give them no more <laughs> exactly, have already tried to succeed <laughs> you know? before, and and Paxton still trying exactly. to do it. Exactly. So don't give them so no look, ideas. Them any ideas, but look, right, just right. just know that if, if Texas is thinking about you know being on their own, I'm with them. But no, stay over here with <laughs> us. Come on back. Yeah, Come joking. on back. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm Come joking. Back. Yeah, look, I'm joking. Uh, yeah. I'm joking. But I got to get them on our side of the table too. Look, I'm trying to get this money from them. So, but just to know that, and coming from U of H as well. I know that you can look at that institution, optics matter, you can see and look at it and tell that there's no that there's no lack of funding there. They're building the medical school right there in our backyard on MLK and OST and Old Spanish Trail, and they just built, I don't know how many beds, but a new dormitory that they completed in I think like less than a year, a year and a half or so. So the money was there, but we had to fight to get the rest of the money for our library learning center, which still doesn't have you know a name yet. And we have Lanier East, where someone, I think, well, Mr. Uh, well, Representative Johnson, who is a former, you know, student here, probably stayed there. And for that dorm to still be there, and and it's still in the same state, optics matter, infrastructure matters. It, but it all comes from resources and money. That's something that I would I would love to see our university get more because right now it's not it's not on par with the rest of the playing field, and that's upsetting. I think when I was there, Lanier East was a female dorm, so I don't know if I stayed there. Hey, look, I probably stayed in more time in there than I should have, <laughs> but I, that, that was not. Well, I hope I, I hope the Regent will be in uh, Austin doing the session, even with all the limitations and restrictions, um, because he he understands and represents a perspective that the members need to hear um, as we go forward. We've got a few minutes left, and uh, so what I, I I'd like to do. Um, let me ask a closing question uh, that I would like uh, the, the both of you to, to, to touch on. Um, there's so much that the pandemic is, uh, I want to say, exposed to us. And I'd like to hear, starting with you, Mr. Regent, um, where do you think we go from here, not just as a university, but as a community if if and when we make our way through this pandemic, and I'd like to hear your thoughts also, Representative Johnson. Regent Johnson, if you'll go first and we'll close out on these remarks. Phenomenal question, because COVID is unprecedented. It's something that we've never, never seen before. So to know that as a country, as a nation, that we responded not as rapidly as the rest of the world did, you know, but to know that something was done at a legislative level to 
you know, mandate the mask and the social distancing and the 25% capacity and things as such. That was good to see some coordination and collaborative efforts on both the federal level and the state level and, you know, the community level as well with, with, um, ooh, Jocelyn Hidalgo, yeah, our district, our district judge, Jocelyn Hidalgo, to you know, step, take a step further than even what the state did. She was like, no, look, we're in Harris County. We have the highest cases in the nation right now. We need to do an extra step in order for us to, to, to get this under control. So that was, that was very good to see. But as a university, I think what this proved was not proved, but it, it exposed some of, you know, the lack of resources in the funding because where other universities were able to switch over, you know, to all virtual learning, to provide um, um, existential learning for people who didn't have laptops or who didn't have a place to stay necessarily, and even the CARES Act money that they received, they, it was streamlined straight to students' pockets for those who needed it. But to know that all of our resources here were exhausted going forward, you need to have infrastructure set in place because you never know what's going to happen. You never know when the next pandemic is going to hit. You never know if we'll have a natural disaster. You'll never know if, if, if anything, you know, happens. So I think that highlighted what needs to be improved on as not only a community, but as a nation as well. Some, some of the collaborative efforts, you have to put pride aside and realize that we're all humans. You know, you only get one of these. And when I say one of these, I mean your body. So that's something that, that's something that I think we do have room for improvement on, but looking forward in the future, I'm not gonna say I'm, I'm glad it happened, but it, it created some sense of resonance throughout America, you know, because everyone was facing the same thing. It wasn't something that was, it wasn't uh, um, um, something based on class. It wasn't something based on race. It's like, no, COVID, you can catch any, anyone can catch it. You have celebrities catching it. Tom Hanks caught it. You know, he was on, he was on TV with his wife. The president of the United States at the time caught COVID. So it's like, this, it was something that was real. And to know that, as a nation that we responded, not like I said, as, as rapid and as efficient as the rest of the world did, but something was done and that did make me feel comfortable. And the stimulus checks, you know, to know that money was being pumped into the economy for those who were jobless, people who, who's, even the rent freeze, you know, the rent freeze as well as student loan freeze that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden plans to continue to do all the way through September, which is something that was done since last March. That's, that's refreshing as well as a student too. So that's, it's, it's great to look forward to. Let me do this before we uh, ultimate goals. What do you think about the idea about um, free college? Free college. Well, shoot, I think that it came a little bit too late because I'm about to graduate at the end of this semester. But for my younger siblings, I hope y'all are listening. And for those younger folks out there, if you're 18 years old right now, it's the time to apply. If you're a senior, junior in high school, please apply to college. It may be free for you. But the idea of free college is something that's, you know, it's utopian. It's something that it, it sounds good, but when it gets to the nitty gritty and the legislation behind it, there's going to be some people who say no just simply out of, out of the basis of, well, who's gonna pay for it? Where's the, the funding gonna come from? They're not gonna cut the, the department of uh, the, the DOJ's budget. Not gonna part, they're not gonna cut the military's budget. So it's like, where's this money gonna come from? But free college going forward would be something that would be motive for a lot of young folks out there, for some who financial reasons where they're, you know, their justification for not going to college, they're thinking about their family. We have people who are immigrants in this nation. 
But I came from Fort Bend where a lot of my friends were first generation Irani, first generation Pakistani, where their parents came over and, and went to college and like their parents like worked, you know, worked, 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 worked in, in the 80s and then had to come over here and, and provide for their families. But to know that my younger siblings can go to college for free, that my younger cousins can go to college for free. And I come from a, a single parent household. My, I have seven siblings. My mom's a single mother. So to know that there's opportunities out there to go to college for free, because that was one of the reasons why I was like, well, I can't go to U of H anymore. <laughs> when the end of the year came around and I owed money, I was like, wait, whoa, I thought financial aid covered all of that stuff. So that will be an opportunity that a lot of kids and a lot of young, young Americans out there will take advantage of, I hope, if it comes their way. It certainly needs to come their way because when you look at the number of universities that have foundations that uh, that are well within the billions, and yet they're still raising tuition, it's un it's unfathomable. Um, I think this pandemic has showed us where we have got to a place where we let politics kill four hundred thousand people. There were so many people on both sides of the aisle, on different sides of the aisle saying mask, no mask, you know, freedoms, no freedoms. Uh, we. we you know, we, we, we saw people that said, oh, it's my freedom and my expression and, and certainly my, it's my body, my choice. I thought that's what we talked about when it came to pro-choice pro for women, but yet now here you are in the pandemic and you're saying it's your body, your choice, so you don't have to wear a mask, but that mask protects everyone. And yet those same people don't have a problem. If I get pulled over by the police and I get a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt, that seatbelt protects me. Got nothing to do with you, Professor Robinson. Ain't got nothing to do with you, Regent Johnson. That seatbelt protects me. But if I get pulled over by the police and don't have a seatbelt on, I get a ticket. And yet there were people on the other side of the aisle that were refusing to allow tickets to be written to people who would be ticketed for not wearing a mask. And you see what we got. 400,000 people later, here is where we are. Greatest country in the world, the most deaths out of anybody, the greatest uh, medical center in the world, the greatest science in the world, the greatest everything in the world, and yet this is where we are. How did we get here? And I hope that people on both sides of the aisle see that, that we never needed to be here. This is a, about uniting the nation. I'm so glad that Joe Biden said what he said today. No matter if you voted for him or not, he has to be a leader for all, not just the Democrats. Unfortunately, that's what our, our last president did. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be a part of this new era that we're in. I'm excited that uh, uh, Vice President Harris is, is going to do the work that she's going to do because it tells a different story about HBCUs. The more we continue to talk about HBCUs, uh, and as I think the young brother said, optics are important. The more you talk about in great, um, in, in, in great spirits and, 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 uh, and you pay homage to things and you start, everyone wants to be a part of a winner. And so I, I, I hope that we can continue to talk about those people who went to HBCUs. You have the Vice President Harris, you have Stacey Abrams, you have, um, there are a couple of cabinet members now that went to HBCUs. Greatness comes out of HBCUs. It's no longer just a place where you say, oh yeah, it's just, no, HBCUs created greatness. They created the Mickey Leland's, they created the Barbara Jordans. They created greatness in this in this nation, and so I'm excited, and I hope that we can we can we can start changing the narrative and change the optics, because the optics is what makes a difference. Why is the black man the most dangerous man in the world? Why I don't even I don't carry a gun. You don't I mean, at the end of the day, but yet I'm being killed as a. But we don't look at those individuals that stormed the Capitol. We look at Black Lives the same way we saw Black Lives Matter protests and the insurrection. 
Well, we, we, we saw clearly that there's a reality of two criminal justice system. And hopefully, you know, they say out of, out of every dark cloud comes some light out of every bad situation. And that from not just George Floyd, but all those who've lost their lives over the past couple of years, all the way through the insurrection, America has had to look at itself and maybe we start to make the kind of progress we really need to make. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I spent a lot of time going back and just reading some of Dr. King's writings and listening to his speeches. Um, and he was so profoundly true and so uh, far ahead of his time and still so relevant. Um, I appreciate both of you being here today at the Barbara Jordan Mickey Leland School of Public Affairs, um, one of our own political science a soon-to-be graduate, one of our former graduates, a state representative. I can't tell you how excited, because this is the first time we've met, uh, COVID has uh, done so much damage in terms of limiting the interaction of the faculty and our students in a, in a personal way that we've done over the years. But we continue to see the kind of product, the kind of talent that comes not just from Texas Southern University, but from HBCUs across the board. I mean, when you look at uh, black families, you see that we graduate them from all, all across the HBCU family and the difference that they make in government, in the private sector. Black members of the Texas legislature, Texas Legislative Black Caucus. Ron Reynolds is a, a graduate of our program. Retta Bowers is a graduate of Texas Southern University. So, I mean, we could go down the list today. Uh, but, you know, we have a, a great program here in the School of Public Affairs, our Executive Masters of Public Administration program, where before COVID, we also wanted to make sure that our students were internationalists uh, because as black people, as uh, Vice President Kamal Harris shows, we are people of multiple peoples. And we were engaged in taking students abroad to Africa and to Latin, Central, and South America to make sure they had a grounding and a perspective. Um, you know, one of the things Texas Southern University has a special purpose designation. Uh, I call it we're, we're a super think tank for helping to solve the challenges facing urban America. And sadly for too much of America, the diversity that we see in urban America has been a challenge. So we wanted to make sure our students had relationships and as soon as the pandemic breaks and we're allowed to, we'll, we'll get back to the business of international traveling for our students at Texas Southern University. Uh, so thank you for all who listen to the podcast and uh, be blessed and stay safe. Everything that I am today is a direct result of having gotten educated at Texas Southern University. Most of our African-American lawyers, a good percentage of our Hispanic lawyers, uh, our CPAs, our MBAs, most of our teachers, doctors, most of the professionals in Texas are graduates of school. You just think of the list of distinguished graduates. Barbara Jordan, Mickey Leland, Craig Washington, Sempronia Thompson, the list goes on and on and on. We're really fortunate that this school was created originally in 1947 as Texas State University for Negroes has blossomed into what is now the second largest historically black university in the country and it's been a godsend for us and we're just so grateful that we have it and we need to do everything we can to protect it and support it. I'm glad in my new role as a county commissioner we're going to redo Cleburne Avenue. That'll be the 
front entrance to Texas Southern University. We're going to spend about $15 million, handle drainage issues, and it will be magnificent, really the gateway to this university. And I'm so glad to be able to do it, but it's because I owe Texas Southern far more than I could ever be able to give to them.